وَإِذَا بَدَّلْنَا آيَةً And when we substitute an ayah, مَكَانَ آيَةٍ In place of an ayah. Meaning an ayah is revealed and another is revealed in its place. So the one that came later, it replaced the one that came earlier. And what is this talking about? Nasr, abrogation. Remember that the Qur'an was revealed over a period of how many years? Two years? Twenty-three years. And religion was being revealed. Law was being given. Lives were being changed. And at the same time, there was a lot of difficulty. A lot of you know, uh, opposition that the Muslims were facing. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed certain commands gradually. Not immediately, but gradually. Because when you're guiding someone you know, from point A to point B, that transition better be gradual. Why gradual? So that it is easy. And it is also a permanent change. Otherwise, what happens? When you're taken from one point to another instantly, immediately, then you flip, you turn back. That change is too difficult for you. You know, it's like divers, when they go deep down in the water, how do they go? Straight down? And when they're coming up straight up? No. They have to spend time, you know, at different levels, different depths. Why? So that their body can get used to the pressure. Because the pressure changes, right? The deeper you go, the more pressure there is. So, likewise, the commands were given gradually. Why? So that the believers could incorporate those changes in their lives. The transition would be easier and it would also be permanent. So, this nas, this abrogation, the mushrikeen had a big problem with it. And later on we learned the Jews also had issues with it. And the hypocrites also questioned it. And there are people today also who wonder why Qur'an was revealed in that manner. So the people they said, وَإِذَا بَدَّلْنَا آيَةً مَكَانَ آيَةٍ Allah says that when we replace, when we substitute an ayah with another, وَاللَّهُ أَعْلَمُ بِمَا يُنَزِّلْ And Allah knows best about what He is revealing. قَالُوا they say, their objection is, they say, they criticize that إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ muftar. You are a fabricator. Muftar is who? One who does iftira, fabrication. They would say to the Prophet ﷺ, you're making all of this up. You said something, and then you're like, no, no, it's not going to work, so you changed it. You changed your mind. You're fabricating, you're just inventing this Qur'an. You have an idea and you come up with something new, and you say, oh, the previous one is fabricated. إِنَّمَا أَنْتَ muftar. Allah says, بَلْ أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ The problem is that most of them do not know. What do they not know? That this Qur'an is not the word of Muhammad wasallam. it's the word of Allah. And they do not know the wisdom behind this abrogation. The wisdom behind gradual revelation. They don't understand. They don't know. Because if they knew, they wouldn't say something like this about the Prophet Qul say, tell them. Nazalahu, he brought it down. Who? Ruhul Qudus, the pure spirit. Who is this pure spirit? Angel Jibreel. Why is he called the pure spirit? Because he's far from sin, far from disobedience. He never disobeys Allah. Ruhul Qudus, he brought it down. Mirrabbik from your Lord, meaning Allah sent it. Allah gave his speech 
to Jibreel, and Jibreel brought it down to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, bilhaq, in truth. Meaning in reality, for sure, this Qur'an is from Allah. And why is it that it has been revealed in this way? Gradually, liyusabbita. So that he may make firm, he may stabilize. Yusabbita is from tathbit, thabata, thabit. Thabit, firm. Tathbit is to make someone firm. Make someone firm. So the reason why the Qur'an was revealed gradually was to make firm who? Alladina amanu. Those people who believe. Because you know that the Qur'an was revealed how? According to the situation that the Muslims were facing. That whenever the Muslims were in a particular uh, you know, situation, they were facing a problem, they had a question, they needed encouragement, they needed a reminder, they needed a warning, they needed an answer. What happened? Ayat were revealed to help them in that situation. You understand? Like for example, there were some companions who when they embraced Islam, their families became very upset, and especially their parents. Like for example, Musab ibn Umayr radiallahu anhu, what happened to him? When he became Muslim, his mother became very upset. To the point that in some narrations we learned that she basically went on a hunger strike. That I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to comb my hair, I'm not going to sit in the shade until you renounce Islam. Now imagine if a person is in that situation. On the one hand, you cannot leave Islam. And on the other hand, your parents are upset and the Qur'an tells us that we have to ihsan towards our parents. So these sahaba, they were in a very difficult situation. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed ayat that yes, you have to do ihsan with your parents. However, if they tell you to do shirk, then you will not listen to them. But you will still be good towards them. وَصَاحِبْهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفًا Live with them in this world in a good way. Treat them well. Which is why we learned that Musa ibn Umayr, he would go up to his mother and try to feed her. And speak to her gently, lovingly. صَاحِبُهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفًا So you see how, whenever the Muslims were in a critical situation, in a problem, in a difficulty, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed those ayat as an answer. And this method of revelation you know, being in a particular situation and then ayat come, this stabilized the believers. This gave them firmness. This is very similar to how if you are going through some difficulty in your life and you open the book of Allah and the verses you read, they're perfect for you in your situation. Do you forget those ayat? No, you don't. You don't forget them. From the entire two, three pages, you will remember that one ayah. Why? Because it helped you in your time of difficulty. That is what kept you firm. amanu. It makes the believers firm. Wahudan and a guidance wabushra and good news Lil Muslimin for those who surrender. For those who submit. Meaning those who surrender themselves to Allah, those who submit to Allah, those who obey, then this Quran becomes a source of guidance for them and a good news for them. وَلَقَدْ نَعْلَمُ And certainly we know أَنَّهُمْ يَقُولُونَ That indeed they say Over here the Prophet ﷺ is being comforted That it's okay Ya Rasulullah ﷺ Allah knows about what your enemies say And what is it that they say? They say إِنَّمَا يُعَلِّمُهُ بَشَرٌ 
that indeed it is only a human being who teaches him. Just imagine, the Prophet ﷺ who never spoke a lie, who was never accused of lying, who was known as someone trustworthy. His reputation, good reputation was established and well known. When he is delivering the Qur'an, what did the people say? إِنَّمَا يُعَلِّمُهُ بَشَرٌ you know, there's this guy who teaches him. He's just making all of this up and he says it's from Allah. It's not from Allah. He's making all of this up. If you were in that situation, would you be distressed? Have you ever been accused of lying? Have you ever been accused of lying? When you have not lied, but you are being accused that you spoke a lie. And you know that you did not speak a lie, but others don't trust you. Others don't trust you. How disheartening is that? How hurtful is that? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comforts Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's okay. We know what they say to you. Don't worry. Don't bother about them. We know that they say to you, إِنَّمَا يُعَلِّمُهُ bashar. Now the thing is that Makkah was a place where obviously Arabs living over there. But you know that Makkah was also the center of Arabia in the sense that people from everywhere, all over Arabia would come to Makkah in order to perform, in order to perform Hajj. And the people of Makkah, they would travel a lot also. Why? Because in Makkah nothing grew. There was no food, nothing. And if you needed anything from clothes to food, you would have to travel elsewhere in order to purchase it. So the people of Mecca would travel to Rome, they would travel to Persia, they would travel to other parts of Arabia. And through this, what happened was that they would go and purchase slaves and also bring them into Mecca. So in Mecca, there were some Roman slaves, there were some Persian slaves, foreigners basically. You understand? And those people, even though they were slaves, they had their own religions. Like for example, the people who came from Rome as slaves, who were they? What was their religion? Christianity. So there was a Roman slave who followed Christianity, that was his religion. And near the Mount Sofa, you know, he would work basically. He would sell whatever his master would make him sell. And the Prophet ﷺ, he was the kind of a person who would speak to everybody, wasn't he? Especially those who were neglected in society, the Prophet ﷺ gave importance to them. So you can imagine the Prophet ﷺ must have also spoken to this Roman slave, giving him da'wah. So the mushrikeen when they saw this, oh, he's speaking to this Roman slave. You know what? This guy is teaching Muhammad ﷺ everything. And he's saying that it's all revelation from God. It's not actually revelation. This Christian guy is teaching him all of this. And there are people who claim the same thing today as well. They say the Prophet ﷺ learned the stories of the Israelites, of the previous prophets. From who? From Romans, from Christians. And then he just changed them slightly and he presented them in a very eloquent way, in a very poetic way. And he said this was revelation from God. But if that was the case, then think about it. Why is it that the stories, in some parts they're so similar and in other parts, they're actually giving details that are not found elsewhere. Like for example, the story of Yusuf alayhi the way it is narrated in the Qur'an from the beginning to the end, 
all in one place. The details that we find in the Qur'an, you can't find them anywhere else. And the way the story is told, and we discussed that earlier, that how the story is narrated in the Qur'an, it's amazing. This cannot be the product of a human being. Because a good story, in order to write it, you need a lot of time, you need a lot of review. It cannot be done all in your head. And the Prophet ﷺ was an ummi. He could not read and write. And it's not possible that he just narrated the story, you know, just one fine day. No way. إِنَّمَا يُعَلِّمُهُ بَشَرُ They say that a man teaches him. Allah says, okay, if they say that, look at this. لِسَانُ The language of الَّذِي The one who يُلْحِدُونَ إِلَيْهِ They refer to. يُلْحِدُونَ is from إِلْحَاد. And إِلْحَاد is to deviate slightly. So they refer to. Meaning, the person about whom they say that this is the guy who's teaching Muhammad wasallam the Qur'an. Well, what language does that man speak? He is a'jami. He is a foreigner. Wahada and this Qur'an is in lisanun, a language that is Arabi, Arabic, mubin, clear. Because this Roman guy, yes, he had been living in Makkah for a very long time. And he had learned the Arabic language, but he was still an Arjami. One is Arjami, and the other is Arjami. Arjami, Arjam is non-Arab. And Arjam is someone who is not eloquent in his speech. He is not clear in his expression. And Arjami also refers to someone who is not originally Arab, okay, but he has learned the Arabic language. So, because he has learned it as a second language, it's not that, I mean, his expression, his pronunciation is not that perfect. You understand what I'm talking about? An Arab, when he will speak Arabic, when he will recite the Qur'an, what happens? It's clear. But a non-Arab, what happens? We're struggling with our ha and our ayn and qaf and kaf, isn't it? We have to struggle so much to pronounce these huruf correctly. And then sometimes those people who do learn the language, when they're speaking the language, they sound so funny. They sound funny. Or they're making these mistakes. You know, it might be difficult for us to understand someone who's learning Arabic. Think about it this way. People whose second language is English, majority of us here. Alhamdulillah, most of you, I mean, you've gone to schools here, you've studied here, so English has become like your first language. But what happens to people who are fresh off the boat in the country? How is their language? How is their expression? They may be speaking better English than you in terms of grammar, in terms of you know accuracy and everything. But when they speak, what happens? You have to force yourself to have a straight face. Hmm? Why do you think like that? Why do you feel like laughing? Because no matter how good their English is, it sounds foreign. It's with an accent. You understand? Any language, right? I mean, your parents may have taught you your first language at home, how to read it, how to write it, how to speak it. But when you go back home to the country where you're originally from and you try to speak in that language, people laugh at you. But what's wrong with you? How are you talking? Why? Because it's not your first language anymore. You are an Arjami in that language. You are a foreigner. So this Roman slave, even though he had been living in Mecca for so long, his Arabic 
was not like the Arabic you find in the Qur'an. It wasn't like that. It was so different. And the Qur'an, yes, the content is a great deal in the Qur'an. But in addition to the content of the Qur'an, what is it that's very, very impressive? What? The language, the expression, the eloquence, the clarity. That is what is impressive. Which is why we learned that certain poets at the time when the Qur'an was revealed, when they heard the Qur'an, like this one poet, he heard uh, Surah Al-Kawthar. Three verses. And he says, you know what, I better stop my poetry. Once this Qur'an is here, anything, any speech, any poetry is going to sound like a total fail. So I better not humiliate myself by saying any poetry. This Qur'an has defeated everybody. So this claim that some Christians taught the Prophet ﷺ the Qur'an is completely false. The Prophet ﷺ himself was also not a poet. You know when you read the words of hadith and you read the words of the Qur'an, you can tell. You can tell what is the Qur'an and what is the hadith. You can easily tell. You know sometimes you'll find certain recordings of a hadith that have been recited Recited, like the Qur'an is recited. Why? Just so that a person can memorize them easily. But even if a person doesn't know the meaning, he doesn't know Arabic, but he's just familiar with the Qur'an in the sense that he's read it and he reads it regularly, they can tell this is Qur'an and this is not Qur'an. There's a clear difference. Assalamualaikum. I watched this video of a Japanese man. So um, the sheikh, he read um, a verse of the Qur'an. And then he said like a regular saying. And the man, he doesn't know Arabic at all. So he was told, can you differentiate like which touches your heart most? And he said the Qur'an. He said the second one just sounded like regular poetry. So any person, when they will hear the Qur'an, they will know that this is something special. Because its expression is also amazing. Indeed those people who لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ who do not believe in the verses of Allah. Those who disbelieve, who don't accept the ayat of Allah, Allah says, لَا يَهْدِهِمُ اللَّهِ Allah will not guide them. وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمًا For them is a painful punishment. Because you see, once a person has made up his mind, I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to believe in it. Then what is he going to do? He's going to come up with one excuse after another. And that's exactly what the people of Makkah did. At one point they said, oh what kind of Qur'an is this? It talks about a fly and it talks about a mosquito. What is this? At another point they would say, oh what is this abrogation? At one point you say something and at another point you say something else. And then they would come up with something like, we will never believe in it until we actually see you performing some miracles. And then they would say, oh we cannot believe in you until we actually see the Qur'an written down. You know, it should be sent to us in a written form. And then they would say, oh you learned the Qur'an from so and so. One excuse after the other. Why? Why? Because those who don't want to believe, they are not guided to the truth. Who is guided to the truth? The one who wants to believe. And this is something very, very normal. When you want to do something, you'll find a way. You'll find a way. You'll make a way. And when you don't want to do something, even if it is right in front of your eyes... It's right before you. Will you do it? No. Because your heart is not into it. You don't desire it. You don't want it. So those who don't believe, 
Allah will not guide them to his religion to the right way and he will not guide them to Jannah in the hereafter either. وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمٌ For them is a painful punishment. إِنَّمَا Indeed not but يَفْتَرِ الْكَذِبُ He fabricates a lie. He invents falsehood. The mushrikeen accused the Prophet ﷺ of fabricating lies. Because when they said that you are a muftar or that you are learning from this Roman guy, what were they saying in other words? That you're lying. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know who lies? إِنَّمَا يَفْتَرِ الْكَذِبِ Only such people lie and invent falsehood. Who? الَّذِينَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ بِآيَاتِ اللَّهِ Those who do not believe in the verses of Allah. وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْكَاذِبُونَ And it is they who are liars. The one who believes in Allah's ayat, the one who believes in the akhirah, he can never lie. He will not lie. And the Prophet ﷺ, it could never have been expected that he would utter a lie. Even his enemies appreciated his honesty. You know, what I find amazing is that before the hijrah, on the night of the hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ, he still had some amanat. Some things that his enemies had deposited with him for safekeeping. Imagine. His enemies had given to him, can you please keep this for us? Can you please save this for us? We'll come back and take it from you later. They don't believe in him, yet they accepted his truthfulness, his honesty. They acknowledged his trustworthiness. And yet they would say, oh he's lying. Amazing. His honesty was well known. So those who accused the Prophet ﷺ of lying, Allah says such people are liars themselves. Because who is it who can easily you know, say about others, oh she's a liar and she's this and she's this, and accuse people of sins, of crimes. Who? The one who is guilty himself. The one who is guilty himself. He knows he's doing something wrong, so in order to look all good, in order to look all pious and all righteous, what do they do? They point fingers at others. Like for example, if a person has really bad akhlaq in their family, and they don't want to acknowledge that they have bad akhlaq, what will they say? Oh you know, my brother, he really, really upsets me. And my mother, oh my God, she's like my enemy. And my sister, she's got some problem with me from the beginning. Everybody hates me. You see, the problem is, our akhlaq is bad. We don't want to acknowledge it. So who do we blame? Who do we blame? Other people. We blame other people for the wrong that we do ourselves. So what do we learn in this ayah? That those who accuse others of lying, they themselves are liars. They themselves are liars. It's like, you know that famous expression that when you point one finger towards someone, you're actually pointing how many towards yourself? Three. You're pointing out the mistakes of others, whereas you don't realize that you yourself have so many mistakes. You yourself commit the same crimes. وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْكَاذِبُونَ They are the ones who are liars. And we see this, that the mushrikeen, I mean they were famous for their lies. They were famous for their treachery and cheating. Think about the pact that the Prophet ﷺ made, Sulhu Who breached it? Who violated it? It was the mushrikeen. Right? وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْكَاذِبُونَ And from this ayah we also learn that a person who truly believes, he cannot lie. A person who believes will not utter lies. You know, the Prophet ﷺ was asked that can a believer commit zina? And he said, yeah, it may happen. 
Can a believer commit this crime? Yeah, it may happen. Can a believer commit that crime? Yes, it may happen. Can a believer do this, this wrong? Yeah, it may happen. Can a believer lie? No. A believer does not lie. Who lies? The munafiqeen. Those whose faith is not correct. Whose faith, whose heart is diseased. They are the ones who lie. وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْكَاذِبُونَ مَنْ كَفَرَ بِاللَّهِ Whoever disbelieves in Allah مِنْ بَعْدِ إِيمَانِهِ After his iman. Meaning after accepting iman, he disbelieves. He says, I'm a believer. But then later on he changes his mind. He's like, you know what, forget it. This Islam is too difficult. Yes, I was a born Muslim. Yes, I was raised a Muslim. But I change my mind now. It doesn't make sense to me. Other things make more sense to me. So I'm going to accept those and follow those and leave Islam. Does it happen? It happens. Some people do that. مَنْ كَفَرَ بِاللَّهِ مِنْ بَعْدِ إِيمَانِهِ Whoever disbelieves in Allah after his iman. إِلَّا except There is one exception made over here. The one who disbelieves or he shows disbelief. Why? Because he was ukriha. He was forced. Ukriha from kafraha. To force someone to do something even though they dislike it. So the one who was compelled, who was forced to express, to say words of kufr, to commit an action of kufr, he was forced, he wasn't given a choice. وَقَلْبُهُ while his heart is mutma'innum bil iman, It is content with iman. Meaning in his heart, he is a believer. In his heart, he has no doubt. In his heart, he is a believer. But on the outward, he is forced to show kufr. Does this happen also? Yes. There are people who because of their Islam they are persecuted to such an extent that they are not given a choice and if they want to stay alive they have to say words of kufr. My dad told me that um, when Islam was in Spain uh, long back uh, ago uh, um, then like the Muslims they and then the Christians or something they came to Spain the Muslims were persecuted to the point that they couldn't even pray. Um, so what they would do was they would walk and like look in front of them and act like they were like just walking normally, but they would be praying with their eyes. And like they were forced to act like disbelievers even though they were believers. Remember the story of Ammar ibn Yasir anhu. How his parents were basically killed in front of him. And then he was being physically abused and tortured. And then they wouldn't let him go until he said some words of disbelief. Just imagine, you're being beaten, you're being physically abused, tortured, and your enemies are not going to let you go until you say some words of disbelief. Until you say, I believe in this idol, or I don't believe in Muhammad or he's a liar, or there's no Allah. So he was basically forced to say words like that, and he said them. He said those words. Imagine a young kid, he was not that old at that time, he was still young. And imagine, in this situation, he said the words of Kufr just to save his life, but then he was wondering, have I become a disbeliever? So he went to the Prophet ﷺ and told him, the Prophet ﷺ asked him that, how do you find your heart? He said, in my heart, I have no doubt. I believe in Allah, I believe in you. I have absolutely no doubt. So then these ayat were revealed, and basically he was told, Ammar bin Yasir, that his iman is acceptable. Because you were compelled to say something, even though 
you did not believe in that kufr. You have iman in your heart. So it's okay. We learn about many, many instances. Have you heard of this uh, fitna of Khalqul Qur'an, the people who say that the Qur'an is the creation of Allah and it's not His speech? Okay, it's a very old debate that happened between some groups of Muslims. There were some people who said that the Qur'an is not Allah's speech, it is His creation. And you're like, okay, what difference does it make? The thing is that they were saying that the Qur'an is Allah's speech because they wanted to prove other things. Okay? That they wanted to say that Allah does not speak. He does not see. He does not hear. He does not love. He does not dislike. He does not have mercy. He does not have anger. He doesn't have any of these attributes. You understand? So they said, Allah does not speak. Well, you say, okay, then what about this Qur'an? Isn't this Allah's speech? They said, no, 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 it's not His speech, it's His creation. So they were basically coming up with this in order to deny Allah's attributes. Because once you deny Allah's attributes, who are you essentially denying? Allah. Right? And when you deny Him, then do whatever you want. Likewise, when you think that the Qur'an is creation, then the creation is subject to change. Like for example, a carrot. Allah's creation. You can peel it, you can chop it, you can cook it, you can eat it, you can throw it, you can do whatever you want with it. So if the Qur'an is treated like that, that means you can change the verses and you can delete some and you can add some and you can change the meaning. And this is where these deviations started from. So anyway, the group that believed that Qur'an is creation, they wanted this belief to become widespread. So you know what they did? They started teaching this belief to the Khalifa's children. So when those children came into power, okay, they believed that the Qur'an is the creation. And they forced this belief on everybody. And anyone who said the Qur'an is not creation, it is actually Allah's speech, he would be killed. Literally he would be killed. So what happened that many scholars, they said things like, okay, Qur'an is Allah's creation. They just said it on the outward, but in their heart, they believe that the Qur'an is Allah's speech. So for example, some scholars, what they did was, that they would go in front of the Khalifa and they would say, the Torah, the Injil, the Qur'an, these are Allah's creation. But when they said these, you see they were counting on their fingers. When they said these, they implied my fingers. But the words they said showed to the Khalifa, okay this guy is with me. You understand? So they said these kind of things just to protect themselves. Just to save their lives. Two ulama, two scholars, they stood firm. And they're like, no. We cannot prefer ourselves over the religion at this time. This is where we have to strive. This is where we have to do jihad. The sahaba went to battle, and this is our battle. Where we stand for the truth, and we don't swerve at all. So there were two scholars who stood firm. One of them, he was killed. And the other one was Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. He stood firm. He was persecuted, he was tortured, he was abused, he was imprisoned, beaten up, publicly humiliated, whatever. But he did not give up. Why wasn't he killed? Because Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal was not an ordinary scholar. If he would be killed, the Muslims of that time would basically rebel against the Khalifa. Okay, He was like a big sheikh. You know, someone whom you don't touch. And this is the reason why the Khalifa wanted to make sure that 
he conforms with what I tell him because if he will listen to me, then everybody will follow him. But at the same time, he didn't have the position of killing him. And in fact, actually the Khalifa, at whose time he was called, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, you know, the debate happened, whatever, Imam Ahmad was sent into prison and the next morning he was supposed to be executed. But the Khalifa died in the night time. He died a sudden death. And that the Khalifa who came after him, he held different beliefs. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also saved him. So anyway, long story short, what do we learn? That there are certain moments in which a person is compelled, compelled to do something, to say something that contradicts his faith. He's not given an option. And if he holds on to his faith at that time, it would cause a lot of problems for him. It would create a lot of difficulties for him. Now in this situation, you have two ways. One is that you face the difficulties. Even if you're killed, you face the difficulties. And we see examples of that. Ahmad ibn Hanbal. Another companion, we learn about him, that he was caught by the people of Musaylima ibn Kadhab. And you know Musaylima Kadhab, Musaylima al-Kadhab, Musaylima the liar, who claimed to be a prophet. So when that Sahabi was caught, he asked him, Musaylima asked him, do you testify that Muhammad wasallam is a messenger of Allah? He said, yes. He said, do you testify that I am the messenger of Allah? He said, I can't hear you. What are you saying? It basically was ridiculing him, that you say you're a prophet, I don't even hear those words. They're so strange that I don't even hear them. So Musaylama got so offended that he kept asking him this question and every time he would say, I don't hear you, he would cut a limb of his body. He would cut a limb of his body. He basically chopped him, chopped him, chopped him to death. So this is one way that if you have the strength, you face the difficulties. You don't leave the haqq. But there are some other people who don't have that much strength. They're human beings. They feel really weak in this situation. So they say words of kufr on the outward, but on the inside they have complete faith, 100% faith, no doubt. So that is what is mentioned over here. إِلَّا مَنْ أُكْرِهَ وَقَلْبُهُ مُطْمَئِنٌ بِالْإِيمَانِ His heart is firm, it's settled, meaning he has no doubt. It's secure in faith. وَلَكِنْ بَتْ مَنْ هُوْ شَرَحَ بِالْكُفْرِ صَدْرًا the one who opens up his chest for kufr. Sharaha is to open. So he opens up his chest to kufr, meaning he willingly embraces it. You open your chest for something, meaning you make room for it in your heart. When you make room for something in your heart, it means you have welcomed it, you have accepted it, you have made it a part of you. So the one who willingly accepts kufr, Allah says, فَعَلَيْهِمْ Then upon them, غَضَبٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ Anger from Allah. وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ And for them is a great, tremendous punishment. So basically in this ayah, apostasy is being mentioned. That those who leave the religion of Allah, who prefer kufr over iman, then for them a serious consequence in the akhirah. Allah is angry with them and for them will be a great punishment. Why? ذَلِكَ that is بِأَنَّهُمْ Because indeed they istahabu They preferred الْحَيَاةَ dunya, The life of this world عَلَى الْآخِرَةِ On the hereafter. They, by accepting kufr, what are they doing? Preferring the worldly life over the akhirah. وَأَنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَهْدِي الْقَوْمَ الْكَافِرِينَ And Allah does not guide the disbelieving people. So they left 
Islam and adopted kufr for the sake of this world. For the sake of worldly benefits. Because they find a lot of restrictions in Islam. They find Islam to be too difficult. You can't eat this. You can't date. You can't you know, have fun. And you can't drink. There's just too many rules. Too many do's and don'ts. They don't like it. So they say we want to be free. We want to live a free life. We want to live however we want. Because you only live once. So what happens? They say, you know what? Forget this Islam. I have embraced kufr. You know, I don't accept Islam anymore. I'm in this free country, in this free world, and I can believe whatever I want. I can live however I want. Okay, Allah has given you that ability. Go ahead, do it. But for how long? For how many years? Aren't you going to die one day? You are, right? Each and every one of us is going to leave this dunya eventually. Someday or another, we're going to leave. We're not here forever. So anyone who leaves Islam, why would he leave Islam? For the sake of worldly enjoyment, for the sake of worldly benefit, for the sake of being accepted by people. You remember Ka'b ibn Malik We learned about him in Surah Al-Tawbah. That how when he was facing the boycott from the Muslims, he received a letter from the Romans. And what did that letter say? That we have heard that your friend has abandoned you. You don't need to be treated like this. Basically, don't put up with it. Come to us. Come to us. Join us and we will honor you. You'll get whatever you want. It was basically an offer of what? Kufr. Leave Islam, accept kufr, come to us and you'll get everything you want. Prefer this worldly life. What did Ka'b anhu do to that letter? Frame it and keep it. Hide it. What did he do? What did he do immediately? He threw it in a burning oven. He didn't even take a second look at it. He threw it away. He burnt it. Not even just threw it, he burnt it. So that he couldn't see it again. Because he knew that kufr for a few days means putting your akhirah at stake. And the one who prefers worldly life, worldly freedom, worldly enjoyment, then that is a very, very bad choice. A very pathetic move. Why? Because, yes, for some years, for some days, you will enjoy, but eventually, in the long run, punishment. Ula'ika, those are the ones who, الَّذِينَ طَبَعَ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ قُلُوبِهِمْ Allah has set a seal upon their hearts. وَسَمْعِهِمْ and their hearing. وَأَبْصَارِهِمْ and their vision. وَأُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الْغَافِلُونَ And those are the ones who are heedless. This is so scary. That when a person leaves Islam, then his heart, his hearing, his vision, it's as though it is sealed. What does it mean it's sealed? His eyes don't work anymore. So even though he may see the truth, he doesn't get it. His hearing is sealed. So even if he hears the most convincing proofs, he doesn't accept them. His heart is sealed. So even though the most touching and the most effective warning is presented to him, it doesn't melt his heart. It doesn't bring any fear into his heart. Heart is sealed. Eyes are sealed. Hearing is sealed. So in other words, no matter how the truth is presented, they just don't get it. Why? Because ghafilun. They have become ghafil. Ghafil is who? Someone who is heedless. Someone who is just busy having fun. Too much fun. He's too happy. 
So even though you call him 50 times, they will not listen. Has it ever happened that you're talking to a child, a child is playing and you call them once, and you call them again, and you call them again, but it's as though you don't exist. It's as though you have not even spoken to them. Why? They're too busy having fun. They're too busy playing. So likewise, when a person turns to dunya, then remember in Surah Al-A'raf we learned that the example of such a person is like that of a dog. That in تَحْمِلْ عَلَيْهِ يَلْحَثْ أَوْ تَتْرُكْهُ يَلْحَثْ He's just enjoying his life. He's having fun. If you attack him, he'll just stick his tongue out. If you leave him, he will stick his tongue out. Meaning nothing makes a difference to him. Nothing makes a difference to him. And this is a sad reality of the person who makes his desire his God. He's just following his desires. He's so lost in them, so consumed by them, that nothing affects him. Nothing can melt him. Nothing can change him. Their hearts are sealed. And this is why such people, they keep going deeper and deeper and deeper in their kufr. It's a very slippery slope. Deep in kufr. Very difficult to come out of that. Just the other day I was watching this video, this atheist, and he's talking about how there will be amazing scenes that you can see, mountains and clouds and everything. And the people who believe in God, they say, well, how did this come about? Where is God? How can you deny God? He was basically mocking at those people who believe in God. That you still think that all of this beauty has been created by a God? How is that possible? He was mocking. So really, the same beautiful trees, when a believer sees them, his heart, it softens. The same mountains, the same clouds, when a believer looks at them, his heart is filled with awe. He cannot say anything but you know, the words of praise for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the same thing is seen by someone who rejects Allah, and his heart doesn't move. His eyes don't weep. It doesn't make any difference to him. It doesn't affect him. Why? Because the heart is sealed, hearing is sealed, Vision is sealed, and such people, they are ghafilun. La jarama. Don't be impressed by these people and their confidence and their arrogance. Don't be impressed by them. Have no doubt. La jarama. Assuredly. Annahum indeed they fil akhirah. In the hereafter, humul khasirun. They will be the losers. They will be the losers. Because sometimes, you know, for example, you come across big professors, researchers, people who are so influential. And you're like, wow, they know a lot of stuff. They have a lot of knowledge and experience. And if they say there is no God, and what is my knowledge compared to theirs? You know, you feel intimidated by them. You're sitting in a classroom and there's a debate going on between people who believe in God and people who are atheists. And all of a sudden you feel like you're such a loser when it comes to debate. You feel like there's no basis for your faith. Your faith seems so hollow because they have been ripping you apart. Every argument, every evidence you present, they've ripped you apart. Because sometimes they can be very ferocious, right? In these debates. So, don't be impressed by them. Don't feel afraid of them. La jarama, assuredly, annahum fil humul They will be absolute losers in the hereafter. Absolute losers. Because when they will I mean, come on the day of judgment, what can they deny them? What can they deny? 
They can't deny anymore. And someone who's been lying to themselves all their lives, someone who's been believing in something false all their life, in the akhirah when they come, their failure is evident. Humul khasirun. They will be losers. And this is the reason why people say that it's always safer to believe. Why is it safer to believe? How? Because if you believe, okay, and yes, there is an afterlife, then you'll be okay. But if you don't believe, and there is an afterlife, then then what's going to happen? You've lost. Not that our belief should be like that, that oh, it's safer to believe. But just for the sake of argument, it's safer to believe. When a believer has iman in the akhirah, when a believer has iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he believes with conviction, yaqeen. He doesn't have any doubt. But just for the sake of argument, there is nothing to lose if you believe. There is nothing to lose. In fact, there is only something to gain. Because religion, it will only make you a better person. Because you have some limits that you observe. Your actions are not dictated by your desires. But they are dictated by some system, some law. And this is why you'll be a more dignified person. You know, when you deal with others and when you are doing anything in life, there is going to be a difference between how you do things and how others do things. Have you ever noticed something that atheists generally, they become very aggressive in their arguments? And very harsh? It's like they're angry people inside. They're very angry. You just mention the word God and they start rolling their eyes and their face goes red and they start huffing and puffing. Why? Why do they behave like that? And if you look at, you know, even for example, a Christian who has some belief in God, how is he? He's much more calm and composed, isn't he? 